Welcome, one and all, to your Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Time to go to work. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek for Episode 2, The Star-Spangled Man, is brought to you by Creepy German Hostel Food, made with the finest chicken livers, coffee, and crackers. Pete, I told you it wouldn't happen. I told you that Disney was firm on a 100% theatrical release, day and date, uh, for Black Widow. How we doing? I don't know, Matt. You tell me. Pete, the Black Widow date to go see it in the movies and or on Disney Plus has moved to July 9th. Uh, So it's going for that hybrid release option there. Uh, To the surprise of me, but full credit to you, uh, not to the surprise of you. In fact, I had made a point to call you telephonically before before I even tweeted out the news so that I could, uh, ironically, eat crow about Black Widow. It's as it should be, Matt. The rollout of the vaccines continues. However, uh, putting it out in in May is not a viable option. We're not going to have enough people vaccinated in the uh, general population to be able to drive enough of that. And when the apparatus of a Disney Plus exists, uh, it, it makes too much sense. I'm a little surprised they haven't attempted to tier uh, the, what, what do they call that, premiere uh, plus on, on Disney Plus or, or yes, what premier have Premier Access. Premier Access, uh, you know, and, and maybe reach for $40 as opposed to 30 but at least they're consistent in that. Uh, and again, you'll you'll be... You will get to make the choice. Will will you go see it in a movie theater? Will you pay to watch it at home? Will you wait it out until it is available, unlocked, uh, for the rest of the catalog on Disney Plus? We, of course, will be bringing you our review on the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek uh, when that comes out that very weekend. So you can count on us for that. And I'll just mention, Pete, a lot of uh, people writing for mid-tier, and that's not a pejorative, but, you know, there's The Hollywood Reporter and Deadline that are at the top of entertainment websites and, you know, some of the mid-tier websites wondering how Disney could leave all this money on the table. Pete, they didn't do basic math, and I won't go number by number here, but bottom line, if Black Widow would like to make the same money for Disney that Captain Marvel did, and let's not forget that when you see a box office number, about half goes to the theaters, um, for Disney to equal the take-home cash that Captain Marvel did, which Captain Marvel grossed $1.1 billion, all Disney needs from Disney Plus Premier Access is less than 19 million homes to get it at $30 a pop. That assumes zero people go to the movies, which of course is not the case. So just for the sake of math, if, again, less than 19 million homes, not people, not tickets, if less than 19 million homes get it through Disney Premier uh, Access, it will equal the money that that, uh, Captain Marvel made for Disney. 
And given that there's a hundred million accounts in this world uh, for uh, for Disney Plus, that's why it's a different metric than maybe Mulan was about a year ago, and so forth. It's it's if you were a theater owner listening to this, divest now. Come up with another family business. <laughs> the future has been a foreseen. While ago, I mean, it's 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 biggies really that are left. We'll always have the theater experience. It's always going to be something. I think going forward, it'll be more of a curiosity more so than, you know, the multiplexes and everything like that. And again, adapt or perish. But uh, Matt, I do not think it is a stretch that two out of 10 subscribers to Disney plus will, uh, you know, pay the $30 to get what to this point will be the film release of the year. Uh, and and watch it at home and they will be doing just fine they're they're not gonna leave money on the table they're not gonna lose money again when you have the apparatus to get all of the money as opposed to splitting some with the dinosaur that is amc what with its unclean floors and disgusting bathrooms um the choice is very clear pete Speaking of choices and movements in the schedule and whatnot, so with Black Widow having vacated May, uh, that leaves for us currently, we'll see what Star Trek does, but currently that leaves a hole in our podcasting schedule for much of May. Uh, Our current patrons over on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek have access to a poll which uh, now is fully working. Okay, Pete, I made a little mistake. We could be completely transparent here, uh, but now the now the link works. Uh, we're going to open that up that that poll up to other you know to everyone in the near future. But certainly uh, as of right now, if you're a patron, uh, you can see that to give us some some thoughts, some hopes, some dreams as to what we could uh, spend four to six weeks podcasting um, around the time Falcon and Winter Soldier ends and up until uh, Loki starts to launch. This, of course, provided Loki doesn't move back up to where it might have been but like we discussed before they may be leaving a little bit of space for some other disney things we've got the star wars bad batch um cartoon coming uh but yeah let us know what you think and uh we'll uh take it under consideration in terms of uh what we can provide in that space but matt i think i hear a drop coming jump into this episode a zipper glides down a garment bag revealing the new captain america getup as a uniformed soldier feels his way across lockers in a high school football locker room peeling away a name hmm symbolism to reveal his initials jw and the number 10 A woman walks in on him and asks him if he's reliving the glory days when she snuck in there before every game they always won. She asks him if he's nervous. He's been a captain before, but this is different. He doesn't want to fail to meet people's expectations. She puts her hand on his shoulder and advises him to be himself and tells him they'll love him. They lock pinkies and kiss, and she wishes him good luck as she exits 
Another uniformed man enters, asking if he's puked yet. Indeed, it is Hoskins who has come to uh, visit the, I think, currently unnamed John Walker, but we saw it in the poster last week. He'll be formally named soon enough. Uh, I'll just mention, by the way, Pete, this an opulent high school locker room. I did not know that some of them, some of those lockers had keypad locks. Must be good to play the sport that John Walker played. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that it's American-style football. I don't know. I think that's just a, a good de facto. Um, we see Walker practicing his greeting, uh, his greeting as Captain America. Pete, the first of a number of scenes, I think, surprised many viewers in that John Walker, uh, somewhat humanized, somewhat sympathetic. Will it last for the remaining four episodes? Uh, we'll see. But uh, certainly an unforeseen tact that, that, that gets you in the heart. Um, references made to Walker being a little uh, unhappy with all the suits and speeches and senator meetings, but he is reminded that that's part of the job, too. The suit has expectations. With that, it's time to go to work. And Pete, I know I'm supposed to root against the man who I call in my notes CA2, Captain America 2, um, but here with the slow intro, the, the marching band, uh, music playing over the Marvel Studios uh, intro. It is, of course, a marching band redo of the Star Spangled Man yeah. song. With a um, plan. Uh, he, he does have a plan, Pete. Um, but just, a, again, a really engaging opening, which, can t- I mean, it's, it's a fun opening, it's a fun song, but you're having fun in this scene with the guy who you don't want to wear the uniform and so on and so forth. And Pete, this is not the questioning of reality that WandaVision was, but it had me questioning my expectations and my my I don't know basic thrust of the show and whatnot. And it was a delightful, a delightful teaser act all the way through that studio's intro. As good storytelling does here. John Walker signs autographs before his Good Morning America introduction pete isn't that Uh, on abc a division of the walter disney company corporation i believe that it is but they didn't use an actual host they instead used an actress which was an interesting decision hoskins and the woman uh watch as the female host interviews walker at his old high school in custer's grove georgia she asks him what it's like to be Captain America, which he calls the greatest honor of his life, but he's still a little shocked how he received it. And then she runs down his resume, the first person in American history to receive three medals of honor. The government studied his body at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, He has uh, off the charts speed, endurance, and intelligence, which kind of begs the question, Matt, uh, did they not give medals of honor to Avengers or any of those other people and or study them? But all right, you're going to say that among our military forces, it, it tracks. Uh, he says he's no Tony Stark, that he's not Dr. Banner. He doesn't have gadgets or super strength, but he has guts and he knows he has big shoes to fill. By the way, Pete, uh, a little search here. The person playing unnamed Good Morning America host is Sarah Haynes, who had 
worked for uh, ABC, particularly on The View. Then, interestingly, Pete, here she is in this episode interviewing what is sort of the Captain America spinoff. She was a host on the Good Morning America spinoff, GMA Day, also known as GMA3, um, which ended up getting canceled uh, shortly after the pandemic and low ratings. So, Pete, synergy that the virus done unsynergized, if you will. All all spinoffs here. Matt, which Bucky is watching from the floor in disbelief. Uh, Walker was two years out of West Point when Steve Rogers was unfrozen. He's even modeled his work after his, which was kind of a weird line. (laughs) Uh, But he liked uh, that what he was doing made people feel safe. Uh, Steve Rogers gave him hope. He never met him but he feels like he's a brother, which clearly imitates or imitates, irritates uh, Bucky as he sits there watching. With that, we cut to Sam clearly on the move. He is noting the posters cap is back. John Walker. Uh, We learn through dialogue that Sam is headed to Munich. Uh, Bucky is there in this uh, what, what I think reveals itself to be uh, a large military aircraft hangar. Um, Bucky's saying that you shouldn't have given up the shield. And Sam notes all the outrage will simply have to wait. However, both men can agree that Steve wouldn't have wanted this. Uh, Bucky, the voice of reason, says indeed that Sam just simply shouldn't have given up the shield to the government or anyone else. Um, Matt, he tells him he had no right to do it. What Sam pointedly tells him that he's not going to come here with his overextended life and tell him about his rights. The first of a multitude of points in this episode confronting the shadow in the room. Regardless, though, there are bigger things to deal with. The Flag Smashers being one. Uh, and of course, we get Pete the line. I was gonna dare say that it was ruined by the previews, but it plays great here. Um, the the idea that the Flag Smashers could be part of the big three—that's talking androids, aliens, and wizards. Uh, Pete, in my home, the jokes about the Hobbit and how Bucky read it when it was originally published and whatnot. In my home, those jokes played especially well, uh, since for my wife the jokes were new and not ruined by watching the preview approximately eight to ten times when it first came out and whatnot um but bottom line pete bucky is coming along and the use of humor here a reminder that a comic book tv show or movie you can be serious 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 put a little joke in there when appropriate a little bit of real life life is not always dark and oppressive and in near black and white you can have a little humor in there uh before you get back to the serious business we have some action ahead of us we have some real kind of legitimate social reflection and social dialogue here you can have a little haha to keep things to keep things feeling not just lighter but realistic that's the world we live into keep it moving uh the plane over munich germany here torres tells sam one minute to drop off uh the amount of staring that the two titular characters do in this episode uh definitely interesting What's the plan? Wait, there's no plan, Buck. But Sam doesn't get to call him Buck because Steve knew him longer and Steve always had a plan. Sam jumps out 
there's no shoot for a Bucky 200 feet off the ground, too low. Uh, but that's all right. He doesn't need it anyway. Rips the leather off his arm and jumps out using the trees to kind of break his fall before he winds up on the forest floor. Uh, Red Wing capturing the video of all of this as it chirps in his face. Get enough of Red Wing while you can. Uh, he's told Bucky is to head north where he enters a building with Red Wing to rendezvous with Sam. And of course, uh, so much in this episode kind of is uh, a bit hands-off just in terms of not spoon-feeding the audience. For example, Bucky just jumping out with no shoot. It's a nice reminder that he doesn't just have a robot arm. He's got mm -hmm. super strength, super resilient, you know, that kind of that kind of super soldier stuff. You don't need to say, now I remember when I took the serum, and so forth. Similarly, Pete, as they skulk about this uh, abandoned factory uh, or series of factory buildings, the, the two, obviously that number is going to go up, those two baddies over there, they're easily carrying like ridiculously heavy boxes, like giant, you know, gi giant metal tanks and things of that sort. So again, I think on the one hand, you could miss that detail because you're looking at the actors and their dialogue and whatnot. But it's like, you know, your mind is going to pick up on some level. Oh, wait, these baddies mean business as well. It's subtle, but it's still there. And that I think the audience appreciates. Uh, they do not see the guy. Uh, which is definitely something to digest a little bit later on. Uh, Sam also reminds Bucky they are not assassins here. Uh, and as he sneaks up, Sam teases Bucky that his time in Wakanda brought him out as the White Panther. And Sirius, of course, Bucky points out, no White Wolf. Uh, but the number of people, as you said, Bucky notes only two. Red Wing gets the angle here in the infrared. There's actually five, and they're strong. There's an eighth person they believe to be a hostage inside one of the two trucks, which they chase after. I was a little, uh, particularly on rewatch, Matt, that Bucky would run to the second and break the uh, back of it open in front of the other truck so they could see him breaking in like what was that about yeah that had crossed my mind too i think at full speed it makes sense in the edit because you don't go to driver reaction reaches for a gun or microphone you know a walkie-talkie or whatever um i agree it's a weird decision i think if i remember correctly as the fight unfolds, don't there end up being baddies on top of the second truck? Yes. Um, so I think that we can, again, in retrospect... Also, we... she can't kick him into not being <laughs> into a truck anymore. <laughs> there is that, too. Like, like the, we can infer that truck two saw what was going on and said, quick, get on top of the truck. You know, like, like yeah. let's start to react. And you're right. Ultimately, she want you know, the want is to kick him from one to the other so the scene can continue. I think it's just a case where the, the, the underwear of the scene is showing ever so slightly by your, by, by you pointing out the very legitimate uh, concern here. Um, along the way, though, as the scene unfolds, 
Um, it is confirmed that uh, the baddies uh, are stealing vaccines. What? <laughs> I know. If if you can imagine such a thing. Flag um, smashers, line jumpers. <sighs> despicable. Uh, we get the reveal here of uh, the wee Baron, who, of course, uh, uh, kicks Bucky onto the tree, uh, onto the tree, onto the truck there. Uh, she'll be named later as uh, as Carly Morgenthau, uh, but for right now, well, wee Baron slash Pete, people just casually on Twitter, just referring to her as Enfys Nest, uh, her, her uh, character from uh, the, the Star Wars movie Solo. Um, Beat, to me, it all works. To see Enfys Nest, Carly Mogenthal, Wee Baron kicking Bucky to the top of the uh, the second truck, it lets quite a good fight unfold. And it's a good way to unfold it, the idea that they've laid a trap. They made her to look like a hostage, so they knew they were being observed. And then, you know, the, the least likely of all of them comes around the the crates of vaccine smiles and then decks him into the next truck here. Uh, So we have this fight unfold on top of the two trucks, Sam now engaged, but Matt, what do you know to the rescue from a chopper? We've got uh, a shield and then uh, we have uh, not only Walker, but Hoskins, who arrives on the truck, and they do a forearm bash. Yes, Diet Cap with the yet unhero named Hoskins. Um, I will say this, Pete, again to the strange credit. Well, it's to the credit of the episode, which was, you know, moving in contrast to my expectations. Uh, Bucky and Sam need the help. These are, as, as we said, uh, up to eight. I don't know if part of the eight or two people driving the trucks, but, you know, we have at least double the amount of our heroes in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, are equally powered and kicking their butts, and Diet Cap and Hoskins, the help is needed. Um, We have Bucky down, you know, inches from the road. Uh, Falcon uh, ultimately rescues um, Bucky, and they go for a tumble in the German flowers. Um, Their physical closeness played for a bit of comedy there. Um, and Bucky also underlining for we, the audience, that they're all super soldiers back on the trucks. Uh, and indeed, back on the trucks, the fight is continuing. Uh, a good action moment as Hoskins is thrown off of it. Diet Cap throws the shield towards him. He lands on it. Uh, and then, quickly enough, Walker is thrown from that truck. Thank goodness, Pete, there's a random civilian driving his car just behind right. these weaving you know container trucks with people on top of them because it lets uh it, it lets john walker's stunt double land on the on the uh, windshield there and the, the the car comes to a stop and thus concludes the scene the brute force of the flag smashers here on display how about the one that runs through a traffic sign on top of the trucks here so definitely people to be uh, respected in terms of their strength. I'm not sure we should necessarily fear them. And we'll talk some more about that in the coming moments, but uh, Sam and Bucky are walking. Uh, Bucky apologizes, says he's sorry about Red Wing, but Sam doesn't think that he really is. 
they need to figure out where the serum is coming for and how after 80 years there are now eight super soldiers running loose uh captain america comes up with the uh the jeep here uh they want to give him a ride at least they know now what they're up against and he's pretty sure it's one of the big three but matt super soldiers not in the big three um agreed uh i think perhaps <laughs> if nothing else i i I guess there's a couple ways to look at it. Could one make an argument that maybe the super soldiers are somehow being powered by android technology or alien DNA or wizard magic? Uh, maybe. I think two. Or none of them. And it's <laughs> it's a poorly named uh, you know, uh, group. And we need to consider, I don't know, powered individuals like the Sokovian Accord. Uh, or, Pete, if only there was a shorter way to refer to people who's DNA chemistry had been changed in some fashion, mutated, as Patrick Stewart might say. Um, I think, though, the we're having a bit of fun over the line here. I think it's meant to show the, you know, inside the tent nature of Walker. Yes, they the the, the creators must know that we want to hate the guy who's not Steve Rogers and who's not the heir apparent in Sam Wilson. Um, but the fact that he's using the same lingo as Sam and the and whatnot. Uh, again, very kind of inside the tent here. Walker also notes that uh, he's done the hard work uh, and he has earned the Captain America title um, in the truck. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you, do you do the hard work? And definitely something we're going to dig into later. Okay. Because uh, you jump on a grenade four times with your reinforced helmet. I... Let me be this way. Again, it's all, it all comes down to the writing here. The That most noble moment of sacrifice from Steve Rogers uh, in the first Captain America movie is obviously what's being referenced. I will grant you, Pete, that Walker doing the same with a quasi-technology solution uh, is not the same act of heroism. Um, that said, I think that Walker still walks away from that exchange and indeed the scene as a whole he walks away as somebody who is sympathetic now could we be setting up as with the comics where he's going to go completely off the rails sure could there be the let's see six episode thing somewhere at the end of episode three or beginning of episode four the reveal that you know walker and let me be completely serious here could he be a proxy for you know uh white supremacy or kind of you know white nationalism or something like that there's story potential for that turn as well and we can look out for that but uh, based on the evidence in this scene and based on the evidence of the entire episode minus walker's last line i think they're presenting a guy who's saying you know it's like he might have wanted to grow up to be a captain america one day but he never fully believed it would happen and then it did and he he wants to be everything that steve rogers was not just in terms of action but in terms of deeds in terms of uh, being a role model and so forth and again I, I i hate to say it because i know the show is setting up you know we have the rise of john walker i know that's setting up the fall of john walker but in the interim i i feel like he's a guy who's trying to he's trying to be bigger than the name john walker he's trying to earn and trying to prove that he was a choice that the right choice for captain america i mean listen the the arc is present 
we see him at the end of the previous episode. Nobody wants this. Um, they've they've done the sympathetic introduction, but I think the more we see him in this episode, uh, you know, the the bit in the uh, police precinct, I think burying it, um, Matt, it definitely gets noticed as well. We go from clean shaven when we first see him. He's got a little bit of stubble now. He's got even more when we see him in the next scene. Uh, is he going to be full on Steve Rogers uh, Infinity War beard by next episode? Well, A, maybe, and B, it'll be interesting to see if the show explores it all. Like, how much of the, how much of this is driven by John Walker and how much of this is like, hey, you know, the Defense Department image consultant has realized that, you know, in the in in the last three years, people associate the beard with Captain America, not this. You need to grow out your beard. Like, how much, are, uh, how much of there is that? How much am I pulling from The Boys, which is a show, Pete, that uh, I don't believe you've seen any of. Uh, it took my wife and I six months to watch the second season because in this weird COVID world and this being one of the most TV MA shows I've ever seen, uh, it's difficult to find the time when our daughter's not around. Um, but it's an excellent, excellent, excellent show. And I don't know how much I'm pulling from there just in terms of, and this is no spoiler, but you know, they're in a world where celebrity and superpower are rolled into one. And does this show go in a similar direction because they can, do they avoid it? So it's not a ripoff of the boys and so forth. Um, but I think Pete, the the battle of the beard is one that we will watch uh, watch out for in the coming four episodes. Sam says that the mission that the Flag Smashers have here, as Walker picks up a couple riders here, is to get things back to the way they were during the blip, um, and that the serum. Here doesn't have a good track record. Uh, Hoskins tracked them through Red Wing, you know, government property. And this GRC, this Global Repatriation Council, because all these councils in the Marvel Universe always work out, okay, is doing its best to get things back up and running post blip. It's reactivating citizenship and social security and healthcare, managing resources for refugees displaced by the return. Um, but Sam notes that this is normally said by the people with the resources. Um, Walker wants them to join up. Uh, Lamar Hoskins here, a.k.a. Battlestar, which is not just a lame name, is also a comic reference. Okay, we'll discuss later if he's a Cylon, if he has a plan, etc., etc. But uh, with that, the the name out of his mouth, Bucky declares that the car stop. um, And Walker says he's not trying to replace Steve. He's just trying to be the best Captain America he can be. But it would be a lot easier if he had Cap's wingman by his side. It's always that last line, Sam says, as he gets out to walk. The story moves to the Flag Smashers, where they're going to find refuge in a hiding spot hosted by a local fan. He, of course, has made the aforementioned chicken livers, etc. 
Uh, Carly seems a little reluctant to eat. Then in the next uh, shot, she's stacking up uh, containers. Uh, bottom line is the man here, he's a fan of Freedom Fighters, pushing back against the system, acting like Robin Hood. Pete, I look forward to a buzzy internet article telling us that the reference to Robin Hood uh, is a callback. It's an Easter egg to an oldie time English tale called Robin Hood. Um, with that, Pete, blink and you might miss it. Uh, Carly gets a text. The text from an unknown from a block number says, you took what was mine and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to uh, find you and kill you. Intrigue for the future here. Uh, with that, Carly reiterates to the uh, the assembled Flag Smasher group that uh, the people who are in power can't remain in power. The GRC cares more for the returned than those who stayed. Uh, they're committed. Pete, say it with me. One world, one people. Well, this thing about tomorrow, what they're going to do tomorrow, there'll be no going back. Uh, they got a glimpse of what things could be of the way the world could be during the blip. They want to return it to that on the plane headed back to the States here. Bucky again with the thousand yard stare. Uh, he says they need to take the shield and do it themselves. But Sam reminds him for expository purposes here. The last time they did that, Sharon, you remember her, right, Matt? She was branded an enemy of the state. Steve and Sam were on the run for two years. This, of course, while Bucky was on ice in Wakanda. Sam does not want to live la vida loca. They've got nothing here, but that's not true, says Bucky. He has somebody that Sam should meet. Take us to Baltimore. As Sam and Bucky make their way down the street, uh, of course, uh, the young man there recognizing Sam. And uh, I think if nothing else, Pete, a reminder that, you know, these are <laughs> these are recognizable, internationally known people. And among other things, it's also setting up later in the scene yeah. where uh, for the wrong reasons, uh, Sam is not recognized immediately. The subject of race and representation here so the boy refers to sam as black falcon um and he says that his daddy told him that uh but sam says that wait is that because i'm uh the falcon and because i'm black so does that make you black kid the idea i think you know you consider that there's uh shows on right now like black lightning Okay, the idea of race attached to a hero's identity and the need to use it as opposed to ignore it. Um, looking at the importance, the emotional underpinning that's coming in the next scene where they meet Isaiah Bradley and the realization for Sam as a person of color, as an African-American, that there had been a role model he never had that it existed and the whitewashing of that i think is important um i i think matt that neither you nor i as uh white americans can tell or dictate to somebody uh what their identity what their representation would be 
So you know what? If you want to call yourself black insert name hero, that's fine. If you're not going to use that because you're just the name of that hero, that's fine too. It's interesting to see this discussion go on between two people of color, one elder, one younger. We have, as the story unfolds, Bucky knocking on a door. A young man answers. Bucky says that he would like to see Isaiah, but gets told that there's no one here by that name. And uh, the suggestion made that uh, the visitors skedaddle. Uh, Bucky then adds that he is the guy from the bar in Goyang, and uh, Isaiah will know what that means after a quick closed door check-in and so forth. Uh, indeed, uh, our, our pair is let in. Uh, Isaiah says that he'd like to see the guy from the Korean War. They're meeting again. Bucky calls Isaiah a hero and says that Isaiah was feared the most by Hydra. And uh, it is recounted that when Bucky and uh, Isaiah had tangled in Goyang, Isaiah took half the metal arm. Uh, and Isaiah was interested to see uh, what happened to the rest of the arm. Is Bucky here to kill Isaiah? And Bucky reiterates that he's not a killer anymore. Uh, and gets told in response, Pete, that he can't just stop being one just because he decides so. Well, maybe people like Bucky can. Yeah, and the idea that Isaiah Bradley in the comics was the black Captain America... And if we want to talk about art influencing life, influencing art, that that title was something that was produced that had become very, very difficult to even find. And within the last year, you know, as this show had already shot uh, and was originally scheduled to debut in August became something a little easier to find and now without having to name it and coming off the conversation black falcon the idea of a black captain america and then you've got the young man in this scene you've got um isaiah's grandson who we don't get named as eli uh, but is Eli Bradley somebody who becomes one of the members of the Young Avengers? I think all very, very important in terms of the discussion. Yeah, you're referring to the uh, the comics miniseries Truth: Colon Red, White, and Black, which takes a similar uh, similar arc here in regards to um, Steve Rogers. Uh, or being revealed, Steve Rogers was not the only nor first soldier uh, to become superpowered during World War II. Um, and it is interesting, at the time when that was published, it was not well received. I think some would say, you know, it's for obvious reasons that people didn't, people didn't like the message. I know, too, there was also some, uh, some discussion about kind of the illustration style being very kind of, kind of upbeat relative to this, this, very serious story so maybe there was some uh presentation criticism as opposed to story criticism and that sort of thing but the big takeaway pete i'll just reiterate what you said the big takeaway is truth red white and black is something that basically has faded from the marvel comics world in terms of availability and whatnot um nonetheless the show has dug into it and now has brought back those story points to a degree where you can now read truth red white and black uh you know on 
online and whatnot. So it's it's all feeding into this scene where I think the show is trying to obviously not resolve a lot, but the show is trying to to start to come to terms with some of these issues that are real, some of these issues that are tied to the comics world, some of these issues that are that are ongoing in our world and so forth. To have Isaiah show off the power, you know, hurling the metal box into the wall here, which his grandson sees and is not shocked to see, so he's aware of the power. And what did he get for being a hero? They put him in jail for 30 years. They ran tests. They took his blood. Uh, people in Bucky's outfit, Hydra, would come to see him. Uh, so it was not pleasant. It was definitely not the uh, reception that a Steve Rogers was given. So Isaiah wants them, both uh, Bucky and Sam, out of his house. And Sam outside on the street, uh, you know, why wasn't he told about Isaiah? How come no one ever brought him up? Did Steve know? Bucky did not tell him begs really the question what else does Bucky know that we've not been told uh, but the takeaway is this and and Sam via Malcolm Spellman here the showrunner lays it out that there had been a black super soldier for decades and nobody knew and on cue Matt a police siren whoops yes Baltimore PD running their lights there chirping the siren uh, they're very quickly eager to see Sam's ID to have him, to have him. Is it stop bothering Bucky? What bothering is? Are you being bothered, sir? You know. So I think Pete, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, by and large, has existed in a place where the MCU does not have problems of racism or sexism, or at least so it would appear. Uh, and some of that is just the origins of getting the property up on the ground the origins of who was in charge of the company uh before marvel studios spun out on its own i know this is a topic that we've discussed before um i think to black panther which which imagined a world of afrofuturism uh, brought to life you know <laughs> the futurism then current in wakanda i think captain marvel where there were elements of sexism in there, but it wasn't necessarily confronting it on the, uh, on the forefront. Here we have the might of the MCU saying, we're going to pause uh, the big three. We're going to pause androids, you know, wizards and aliens and all this light beam CGI stuff. And we're going to have this scene. We're going to have this, you know, we're going to start this discussion here, uh, particularly as whisper, whisper, oh, wait anonymous sir who seems to be bothering the long-haired caucasian gentleman sorry i didn't recognize you mr wilson didn't recognize you without the goggles there um and i don't want to say that this is an effortless scene because i think as it's unfolding we are all transported into sam's shoes even those of us who have have never experienced something like sam it's the the transformative nature of mm -hmm. drama and of fiction we're, we're all there with him uh in, in large degree or small degree um and it's just i mean again it's not a difficult scene to kind of break down or understand what the purpose is but the mcu hasn't done this before and i think that's that's what i want to take note of here pete and i think it's important too you couldn't be any more cleaner cut than sam presents here 
yet still i need to see your id are you being threatened uh sir by this man who's upset and speaking to you in in such a way okay all the pieces are there um you can't have the humor we we can't tease bucky that he was in you know uh, an afro futurist country and uh received a, a metal arm and he's a white panther if we don't have this scene it makes that that humor hollow if we can't recognize this so who better to recognize what's going on to sam than bucky to witness this and to be the one to point out to these cops wait a minute don't you know who this is uh but the trope gets flipped around and i think that's where the scene is the most effective it's it's not not groundbreaking to say here is a black man being given a hard time by two cops it's not ridiculous wait this is a famous hero uh who happens to be african-american oh all right now we recognize you there we go i mean the goggles line is, is a good nod in terms of what what goes on there it's that the scene flips around. No, it's the white individual. There's a warrant out for his arrest. He's missed his court-appointed therapy, and we have to take you into custody. And I think it, it's not—it's not my show to run. Oh, sorry, Marvel doesn't want us saying that. It's not my show to head right, as Malcolm Spellman does. Um, but it's not, my, you know, jokes aside, it's not—it's not my call to say should this scene. Should this particular exploration have gone on longer or not? The fact of the matter is, the, the the moment the moments are reflected upon, and then, as you say, Pete, whether it's whether there is some social commentary attached or not, we have the immediate thrust of the plot in terms of we've had this therapy set up in the last episode, and we've had you know how it's important it's it's a condition of your parole and all of that, and we're able to keep keep things moving and again i'm not necessarily saying we need to have moved away from this moment for sam if, if they had wanted to spend more time uh, i think we all would have been on board with that but the decision was made to move on to the next scene uh, somehow and how do you get there well by the arrest of bucky um well please understand too i think it's important that this is not some kind of wish fulfillment by the writing staff let's let's arrest the white guy this is a transition this is a form of commentary what if things were like this and as he's taken away that the camera pans and there's a stop the violence sign uh you know outside a fence as sam is taking all this in there's the visual component as well Later, we see that Bucky has been sprung by Dr. Rayner, or not. It actually was John Walker who sprung him, you know, since the doc is her old buddy. And, oh, by the way, doc, you know, I need these two guys, you know, mission and stuff. Dink, dink, Captain America shield and so forth. So if you can kind of hurry things along, that would be great there, doc. So I love, Pete, that in that very brief moment there, we get both kind of, oh, A, we get 
story speed in terms of we don't need to have Bucky in jail. I'm not going to call a lawyer. and It's just bing, bang, boom. He's already on the way out. Two people are there to have interceded, Dr. Rayner and John Walker. Maybe also, too, there's the whiff of John Walker being dismissive of the the mental health component here, which we know for Bucky is <laughs> is present and is real uh, because of his life of trauma. Um, ultimately, though, Dr. Rayner says, Session now, the two of you. Sam tries to get out of it. No, 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 it was not a request. Um, and in the interview room turned therapy session room, Sam understands why she wants them to talk. Uh, and there's the admission that, she, yes, she wants to force the conversation, however slightly unprofessional this may be. Uh, however, there's no talking, so it's uh, it's going to be mirror time as they both uh, they both mirror each other, ultimately being silent. Uh, we get the the haha of the uh, or is it here, Peter? Or is it in the moment where there's the yeah? It's in the moment there's the staring contest. Again, I think the opportunity to say we can leaven a very serious exploration of issues on the shorter side, though it may have been uh, in the Baltimore. I guess we're technically still in Baltimore, but in the previous scene, we can have a an exploration here of mental health, but we're also going to get a ha-ha in a little bit of how they're having a staring contest just enough. Again, I would argue it's not to make things lighter that need to be dark. It's to make things more realistic where we live in a world where there's, there's, there's darkness and there's some light as well. To tackle the macho angle of it, of two dudes in therapy, and then to layer on top of it, we're going to use techniques that happen in couples counseling and then pushing them together where their legs go and everything there. I think it's really the perfect way to diffuse what could get too dark, too intense. I mean, Matt, we might have to put a cut out of it and of black and white. <laughs> Ultimately, the scene, though, does have purpose. Yes, there's the ha-ha. Yes, there's the um, all the setup here. But uh, James, why does Sam aggravate you? The answer is that uh, Sam gave up the shield. Steve believed in Sam, and Steve trusted Sam. The shield is the sum of all that Steve believed in. Maybe Steve was wrong about Sam, and if so, maybe he was wrong about Bucky, says Bucky. Uh, which, Pete, after an episode and a half of... You know, why is Bucky the way he is there? Or, you know, why is he grumpy in this series? I mean, we know, again, the baggage that he's brought with him. But there we get to the crux of the matter that mm -hmm. for Bucky, it is highly personal that Steve has been his his, you know, guiding light here. And if Steve was wrong about the next Captain America, was he wrong about the redemption of the Winter Soldier? And really, when you peel that back, isn't that an examination of racism? The inferiority that someone would feel about themselves, so they project it onto another person based on the color of their skin. And I think that Marvel has done here very eloquently, uh, subtly, but at the same time forceful enough to get people to recognize the issue of race, not to preach, uh, not that preaching isn't important. I think there's a time for it, but here through Bucky to see, I mean, let's be honest, it's 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not Winter Soldier and the Falcon. He's the wingman in this show. And to see through his eyes the importance of what is missing for a black character in Falcon, what he did not have growing up that Bucky was aware of in Isaiah Bradley. And then to have this whole discussion here and and the healthy one of that of therapy two dudes can can talk on the street but without somebody qualified licensed here uh a soldier at that to really understand the underlying issues to have this emergency session and to help them to direct them through this and then sam squashing this you know so they they can go on separate long vacations and not have to work together again knowing of course that they do work well together sam wither the season two come on you can't you can't really mean that after the mission is over you really will go separate ways uh with that sam walks but bucky feels something is wrong um outside though they feel better ish um I kind of felt like there was a slight tonal shift here. Um, Don't necessarily want to go as far as my old standby for WandaVision. Look, they're in a different location. Therefore, it's, you know, uh, during the post-COVID filming and whatnot. But outside, Walker is there as well. He also, too, chirping the police police car uh, lights and siren to get attention. Uh, Pete, if that's not potentially some foreshadowing, I don't. I was going to say, I don't know what it is. It might just be on its own merit that that's how he's getting their attention, but an interesting use nonetheless. Uh, he does say, though, that they don't stand a chance if these four good guys are divided. We get some info exchange here. Carly Morgenthau has uh, support in Eastern European refugee camps. They don't really know more right now. Uh, there's this notion here of the in my words, the weight of the shield in terms of Captain America is not coming through with a plan and people are looking to him to have, have a plan, to have a solution. Um, Sam does point out that he and Bucky, Sam and Bucky, can't work with them since Sam and Bucky are free agents. Uh, we have, of course, uh, Captain America 2, CA2, and Battlestar, you know, as government agents. There's all these rules and whatnot. So Sam and Bucky, they're going to bounce. That Pete is when John Walker says, all right, then just stay the hell out of my way. And uh, there, if nothing else, is your little line to be concerned about. Because Pete, uh, language, language. I don't think Captain (laughs) America would have spoken like that so early in his cap tenure. No, and we never saw Steve in the intermediate growth period with the beard. So what they're doing visually here with uh, Walker uh, is is laying track. Whether or not they'll ultimately go down that path, I, I think is going to be very interesting uh, to to look back at. But yeah, we we begin an episode where we feel one way about him, and now you know in this low light and the way that they're uh, photographing him. Uh, cause to rethink that. The story moves to Bratislava, uh, Slovakia. Pete, I almost I, I wrote down the word Slovakia 
were talking Marvel, so of course my brain had wanted to turn that into Sokovia. Um, but no, it's Bratislava, Slokovia. Uh, goods are being moved onto a plane by the Flag Smashers. Oh no, bleep bloop on the phone. They found us. Uh, it is the Power Brokers men. Pete, I noticed in the uh, subtitles, Power Broker, capital P, capital B. Um, ultimately, though, it's time for Carly's crew to uh, to get a move on. Uh, her guy, who I don't think is named in the episode, uh, but I think has one in the credits, uh, he says that he'll hold he'll hold off the them. Um, he downs a power pole to slow the Power Brokers men, while the other Flag Smashers board the plane, start the engines, and so forth. And uh, just as the plane takes off, uh, the the flag smasher staying behind is gunned down by what appear to be government agents of some type. Although I guess it's Pete. Maybe the power broker crew just dresses smartly. I don't know. But your thoughts there from that scene? The GRC, perhaps. Um, but let's look at the upshot of the scene. So what if they loaded onto this plane? It's water, it's supplies before, uh, we were told vaccines. We have Carly mournfully looking out at a man that she's just sent to sacrifice who wanted to sacrifice himself for the cause. And it doesn't seem in the, in the bad guy type of way and then the specter of this power broker uh hanging over it as we have the uh the unnamed individual making a call there to tell them they got away certainly seems fishy back we go to sam and bucky uh they know what they have to do uh bucky uh, should look into those old Hydra people. There is a guy who also knows old Hydra people. Would he risk sitting down in a room with him? Sam okays it. And then Pete, he says in dialogue, we're going to go see Zemo, uh, which I will address shortly in the theory segment. We then get montage in Germany, in a prison. Pete, a very German-looking prison, you know, right angles, bright lighting, and so forth. Some shadows. The camera moves into a chessboard to Zemo alone to end the episode. What's in your notebook about this episode? Pete, the first theory, it's one that I heard about Friday early afternoon. Uh, I haven't independently verified the, the, the nature of this theory question, but I saw people talking about it on Twitter. So here goes, Pete. TikTok Marvel stands are all wondering who in the world this guy in prison could be. They have all sorts of thoughts. Pete, do you have an answer to that, seeing as how they say they're going to go see Zemo, <laughs> and then they show Daniel Brühl, and then he's in prison, and then he's credited in the credits, the guy who played Zemo. I mean, really? I was just so baffled when you sent me that text to, to see that, yeah, uh, that an established character that they discuss a name and dialogue. I, I guess, Matt, I, I guess not everybody's on top of things. So a bit more seriously here, let me get a little bit more of commitment out of you, Pete. Uh, Will we see Walker turn bad? I mean, that's kind of our expectation. Do you think that expectations 
might be turned around. I mean, my goodness, Pete, there are people who, I, I don't know how legitimate or jokey it is, but there are people who have pointed out that when Don Cheadle was in the first episode, when he furrowed his brow from the right angle, it looked like an M. <laughs> so immediately people, I probably was mostly jokingly, people were saying yes. leftover theory Mephisto. from, uh, yeah, it, it's Mephisto. So like, again, is the point John be, Walker Mephisto? <laughs> is John Walker Captain going- Captain Mephisto? Is Pete a he W go- upside down? Matt is an M. Walker Mephisto, Ma, <laughs> Ma Walker. You know, will he turn out to be the worst that a Captain America can be, or are you know, which is our expectation, or will they defy expectations and he'll just be a guy doing the best job he can do, and sometimes it's not effective. I'd have a hard time believing. It's not a heel turn here. Okay, the beginning of the episode, you know, the the illusion that uh, his stomach's gotten the best of him before in situations like this, before the big introduction on Good Morning America, his girlfriend or his wife there, we don't know. Uh, clearly a, a person we can relate to, the weight of the, the moment, wanting to do a good job, wanting to live up to people's expectations. There's some hints early on, you know, Hoskins telling him that he can't just punch his way out of problems anymore. Has, has that been part of his past, that he's, you know, used violence, whereas Steve Rogers always found a way to bring his ethics into it uh or is it the type of thing that as the episode goes as we see this episode and we can only evaluate on on the text here uh that he becomes more haughty as he uh develops throughout okay they they swoop in to the rescue um, you know, you guys should come work for us. You were Cap's wingman. You should be my wingman. I've done the work. And then, you know, to, to spring uh, Bucky out of prison to uh, try again to bring them over. Oh, no, you're not going to do that. Then stay the heck out of my way. Pete, will the structure of the GRC will we continue to delve into that or is it just a thing in the background I mean because ultimately we don't we don't really have a great sense of the global situation with everyone having returned uh, we see in our real world how there's a lot of effort and sometimes mistakes but mostly headed in the right direction in terms of let's say COVID vaccine uh, you know, research production uh, distribution and so forth you know, where's the GRC on your radar in terms of its good-bad index for this show? The very nature of naming it, I think, indicts it. As opposed to the vagueness of world governments or anything like that. Um, let's be very clear. In this current Marvel Universe, government equals bad. Uh, why? walker and the government um you know we tracked you through red wing your governmental uh issued uh device 
So I, I think it's it's problematic. And I, I think much like we speculated in the previous episode that, wait, what the Flag Smashers want is not a bad idea in theory that uh, it would be one world, that we would all be united, that there'd be no fervent nationalism. I mean, listen, you, you want to root for where you're, you're from in an Olympics uh, context. You know, I, I want my America to, to beat your Spain or whomever in, in we play the football. That's all well and good, but taken distorted to its we are better than you perspective is the fault of it. And to have this global repatriation council be worried about, you know, bringing everybody who returned and now there's displacement of refugees and who has the resources, who doesn't. And Sam knowing that, well, that's the problem, the people who have the resources. I think we're going to be coming to a meeting of minds between at least Carly's outfit. We don't get the, the powered individual we, we saw in the previous episode kick a dude into the, the light stand. Um, and presumably the one sending the texts to her. So there may be, even within that group, disagreements about what their true goal is. Is the heel turn, is the traditional Marvel midpoint secret reveal that you didn't see coming that now we know to look for, is it maybe not that Walker is bad? Um, Is it perhaps, again, something that we kind of see coming? Is it that the Flag Smashers really, really are good. I mean, that box of vaccines could have been vaccines or it could have been a box labeled vaccines that has, you know, uh, laser beam guns and so forth. So will will the Flag Smashers end up on, you know, in the goody column before it's all over? I think the way that they paint them in this episode makes it hard to think that we won't identify with their goal. Clearly, somebody wants to kill her, right? That pushes her into an identifiable, uh, come on, Robin Hood uh, is name-checked, that people are coming to their cause. This, This is not misguided people. This seems to be people who realize what they're doing is good and needed and necessary. Last one from me, Pete. I'm going to swing for the fences on this one. Two-part question. (laughs) First is, who is the power broker? And then, follow-up question, is it Eric Lencher, a.k.a. Magneto? Well, I don't think we're going to have Magneto just yet. Uh, If you want to say that the power broker could be Mephisto, then uh, you, you might be... Uh, you know, floating a, a theory there. Power Broker, of course, goes into Marvel Comics. Whether or not they're going to go into the whole Power Broker ink, that of Dr. Carl Malice, uh, and everything that's involved there remains to be seen. Um, but could the Flag Smashers be a front for that? Could it in some way be connected to the GRC. I mean, Matt, it's not as if crises 
could somehow be staged so that somebody could swoop in and fix all the problems and oh our hero did it for us right shield with hydra inside <laughs> pete i suppose anything is possible um I, I i just keep looking up at our schedule and go yeah we've seen one third of this season there's only four episodes left there's not a whole lot of wiggle room for these reveals at least in a traditional sense you know if we're going to get you know power broker steps out of the shadows and oh my goodness it's still the comics car- uh, power broker it's not going to be an actual you know it's not going to be somebody else but look pete they got so and so like th- that's in the next four weeks that's when that's got to happen because the show ends on april 23rd uh what theories do you have uh so Hoskins, right? Battlestar. We said a, a comics character, okay. Uh, kind of like the Bucky to Captain America. Uh, that if you go far enough back, when when Bucky was essentially Robin. Uh, but uh, Matt is Battlestar a a Cylon? B does he have a plan? And C could he be one of the final five? Um. I I think, Pete, it's difficult to tell for sure. There's probably not going to be a scene like there was uh, in the first couple episodes of Battlestar Galactica where uh, we see what happens when a Cylon feels the physical love and the glowing back and so forth. But I'm going to say, in all, you know, to be a bit more serious, I'm going to say I think we're going to see out of Hoskins hopefully a good guy, hopefully somebody who... If, if Walker is going to continue to turn, maybe Hoskins is the one sounding the alarm and saying, you know, hey, don't do that, uh, whether he's a proxy for the audience or that sort of thing. But uh, I, feel, I, I feel like I have good feelings for Hoskins, a.k.a. Battlestar. R.I.P. Red Wing? Um, yes, R.I.P. Red Wing. Pause, pause. Next week, Red Wing 2.0. Now faster and sleeker and whatnot. Or, Pete, actually, it does occur to me, maybe that is a story... I mean, look, there's going to be another Red Wing at some point because it's convenient for story reasons. However, maybe we are going to run into challenges in the upcoming episodes where having Red Wing, a previously established power, if you will, um, to remove that power, maybe it's going to be like, oh, man, Pete, if only Red Wing had been there to show them that, you know... There was sharks under that retractable, uh, you know, retractable uh, platform over the pool, or things like that. Maybe, maybe the removal of Red Wing is essentially the kryptonitization of that particular power that the Falcon has. Again, we, power in in quotes here. It's obviously technology, but you know, the story power. We knew that this show was going to serve up the action, and two episodes, two outstanding action sequences the beginning of the first episode and the, the truck fight in this one. Um, we discussed how this show would be an examination of racial identity through the lens of heroes. But the, the checking of work that John Walker has done the work versus privilege, he was handed the shield after Sam handed over the shield and it wasn't, Hey, Sam Wilson, I know you gave this back to us, but we really think you should be 
the new Captain America. Nope. Uh-uh. This is our new Captain America. Well, and I think there is where... Look, there must be discussions at Marvel Studios where... Presu- uh, l- let's hope and assume that the, the creative executives are all on the same page in terms of continuing to advance a more uh, realistic, more diverse picture for Marvel Studios moving forward uh, while not necessarily making apologies for how it started with these core characters that they own stuff for in the 2000s and so on and so forth. But how that needle gets threaded, there must be there must be somebody in the room saying, you know, we also do have a product here and we don't want to we don't want to mess up the product along with uh along with being too progressive. Again, that's not my view. I don't think that's your view, Pete, but there's got to be somebody in the room just playing devil's advocate, if nothing else. To have the notion that off-screen or unseen, uh, or both, there was a discussion, hey, we got the shield back because it's the right thing to do to honor this one guy. Oh, wait, the United States needs a Captain America. Uh, Well, we're not going to... You know, Here are all the reasons why we're not going to honor Steve... Rogers choosing Sam Wilson. Here's why we're going to choose someone else. Uh, to leave that entirely unseen and without even kind of the credit of, hey, here's why, Sam, you know, we're going to call you up, we're going to tell you why it is. It comes with the whiff of racism. And I think that's, uh, I don't want to say the best, but that's clearly the choice that was made where you can see it there. And I think that, I think that most of us, regardless of what path that we've been on in life, how about this way, Pete, if we're not used to this path, people like you and me we're starting to understand this path that some people are on more and more where to understand that there was the institutional racism that that probably is what happened in some unwritten unfilmed scene that that's why uh sam was not given the shield back uh to kind of just to understand that that is implied that's a message in and of itself that yeah that that it's not just in the MCU where, where these things happen too. And there kind of is your lesson where again, they've chosen to not necessarily, uh, I, I don't want to say overdo, but they, they've chosen to tell you they have and not in a more forceful way. And it's underscored with this untold story to this point of Isaiah Bradley, that there was a black super soldier that may have even carried the shield Matt at some point. Uh, we we don't know, but it's certainly a possibility that that might have happened, that he was the one sent after the Winter Soldier, that he nearly succeeded, that he had uh, destroyed part of the arm, um, that they were linked, that Bucky now, again, feeling wrong about what's happened to Sam, uh, needing to understand how there are super soldiers again after eight decades um, needing to let Sam know uh, about Isaiah Um, all very important in terms of the dissection of this issue yeah I mean ultimately this is an episode that is is being very economical with how it's addressing these issues how it's having the audience get on board uh, and still, you know, throwing in some fun action scenes. Indeed, the action scenes are great, but they're all ultimately serving the 
highly presumed journey that you know that's that this season ends with uh sam wilson as captain america um it's aiding that or it's aiding our understanding or our our misunderstanding our sleight of hand experience for john walker this kind of continued mystery which is a mystery on uh, as presented with the flag smashers the whole thing it continues to serve all of these story purposes. It's not just, you know, throw a guy from a truck to a car and have a cool stunt. So with this episode, we now have the introduction of Eli Bradley. So in WandaVision, we got Wanda's twin sons. Okay. We have here Eli Bradley, who in the comics takes the mantle of Patriot uh, becomes one of the Young Avengers along with Billy and Tommy. We're, we've already had Cassie Lang, uh, who will be popping back up as uh, new actress, obviously the, the five-year change there. Uh, and we're also going to get America Chavez uh, eventually. So, and, and not to mention Kate Bishop with hawkeye so we're pretty quickly laying out a path to the young avengers i think we are but in that marvel way which is and i think this is where marvel has exceed uh, has exceeded expectations and has succeeded where other uh interconnected storytelling universes uh have have failed particularly you know the attempt since 2008 to to do a DC version and a Dark Universe version and so forth. Marvel is getting these pieces together. Is Marvel getting these pieces together because, gosh darn it, Pete, four years from this day is when Young Avengers must hit theaters <laughs> and therefore they must have casting done in such and such time and they have to start filming. And uh, No. Uh, I'm not saying that Marvel is putting these pieces together and doesn't have a plan, but I think the plan is, you know, and maybe in five years... Or maybe in three years we go, okay, we have enough pieces to start to, now we're going to officially, we're going to announce the movie for three years from now. We're going to really, we're going to make it happen. Until then, these are just living, breathing characters that are developing at their own pace. And, you know, is it is it with an eye towards a phase five? Sure it is, but it's not with the locked in thing of, here's how you make an interconnected universe. You Photoshop a picture in of, you know, Benicio Del Toro and Russell Crowe and Johnny Depp and whoever else was part of the Dark Universe monster thing, get the picture first to get people excited for the Universal Monster movie in five years. Then we'll just figure out how to do it along the way. No, no, no. Put them here. Put them there. Slowly build things up. And if enough of these threads come together, then you have a Young Avengers cloth. And if for whatever reason you don't, because something more interesting gets discovered or all of a sudden, you know... Whatever it might be, if you need to take it into a direction, you have flexibility built in. Did what we see happen at the end of the episode with the Flag Smashers, was that the thing that was going to happen tomorrow that there's no going back from? Uh, I don't think so. I think the moving of stuff into a truck is not that much different from moving stuff into a plane. In fact, maybe they were going from the truck to the plane. Um Again, completely serious face and voice here. The observation has been made from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier crew 
that things that happened in this country, particularly you know the January sixth uh, attack on the Capitol, uh, that it was eerie that issues and actions like had gone on, have gone on, uh, were reflected in the show, but the show made it first, that kind of thing. Uh, so it was tapping into a certain zeitgeist. Again, in all seriousness, I don't want to mix the seriousness of these real-world events with, you know, boy, I hope there's a fun showdown next week. I think there's going to be a, a shocking showdown. I mean, if you say tomorrow, tomorrow is about as next time on as you can get. I would expect that in 103, that's where we get, you know, the big attack on the big important place with, you know, w- w- with some of these tools where we have a lot of question question marks. I think that's where rip open the vaccine box and it's, you know, Chitauri weapons or we rip open the vaccine box and it's more so- super soldier serum or whatever they're going to do with it. There's enough questions here where it's probably time for that to, especially with the tomorrow countdown for us to get answers next week. Well, Matt, you don't have to wait for tomorrow to get more fantastic geek today when you go to uh, patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Absolutely. And we are so proud to continue to be listener supported, to have the people uh, helping us out with uh, the real world costs that do occur. Pete, there's no GRC giving us handouts for sticking on through the the, the podcast blips and so forth. Uh, or coming on back, or whatever metaphor you want to use. But so, so proud to know that people have gone to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek to help us out. You determine the price you put on, the value you put on the podcast, and head over there. It takes just a dollar to get behind that door, all sorts of levels to choose from. Participate in that poll we mentioned before. Listen to exclusives you're only going to find there or early listens, something for everybody. Check it out today. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. You could leave us a rating. Takes seconds. You could leave us a review. Takes a little bit longer. All are appreciated. And don't just rate the Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast, but you could also rate uh, the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek, our brand that brings you everything and all our other podcast feeds. Open your flip phones and let us know what you thought about the episode. Pete, we start with our Twitter poll. The choices, I was just so inspired by the uh, the snacky snacks that the, uh, the Flag Smashers got. One chicken, sad secret, got 2%. Two chickens, chicken livers, got 6.1%. Three chickens, team up time, got 24.5%. And four chickens, clucktastic, got 67.3%. So some some big enthusiasm there. Uh, some tweets as well. First one up from James the Sagacious. That's at uh, Big Killin on Twitter. Perfect balance of fantasy and realism. How many secrets does Bucky have? Racial The racial tension almost suffocated me. Had to pause. I wonder how race relations were affected by the blip. Were there enough resources to care? Is blipped versus non-blipped the new black versus white? Love it. Uh, Also, James says, uh, another thought, James gives me such strong Will Reeves vibes from Watchmen. I wonder how much of the race relations aspect will be historical. Pete, a lot of great thoughts there, including 
well, first of all, built into the MCU is this notion of the larger universe and built into Star Wars, built into a lot of these successful properties is the idea that even the things the show doesn't talk about or just references in passing, it's kind of it's its own story over there that you can explore. Um, but I hadn't stopped to consider, again, in this increasingly crowded, high-end kind of comic book TV movie space, you know, do they worry about, you know, hey, we can't veer too much into Watchmen, then we're just ripping off Watchmen as we explore nonetheless important issues. I love uh, James drawing the uh, parallel to Will Reeves, to the Lou Gossett Jr. character in the uh, 2019 uh, Watchmen series on HBO, something we had also podcast. Uh, we heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo in 1983. I'm here for that HBCU, of course, historically black college or university, band rendition of the Cap theme to start the episode. They are tackling several social themes while keeping the action going. Loved the fight scene on top of the trucks. And we have a Zemo sighting. Keep it coming. Next up was a tweet from J. Philly B, that's at J. Philly B for fandom. Together again and even better than before, grounding this in real-world issues of nationalism, race, and mental health is playing out well, and given the story richness uh, you can sink your teeth into, not a fan of, ooh, Pete, there's a new title for him, Xerox Captain America. He seems a bit (laughs) off. Uh, Pete, note to self, note to you, note to all our listeners, we're going to have to run a poll. What is your favorite alt name for, uh, you know, CA2, as I've been calling him? Uh, we heard from Winter Falcon, that's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. Great episode. I'm still glad for Sam and Bucky. I'm, I'm glad Sam and Bucky got together early in the episode. Still patiently waiting for Sharon Carter. Indeed, Pete, Sharon Carter has shown up more in the credits than she has in the actual show so far. The truck uh, fight scene was awesome, close to straight out of a movie. So far, the show is living up to my expectations. Next tweet here is Mike Sorensen, at uh, BadWolf underscore media. Uh, couldn't hit four this week. I know they have to move quickly. Uh, talking about the poll here. I know they have to move quickly since they have low episode counts, but a few things this week struck me as just a bit heavy-handed. I still love the episode, mind. I just know from experience that Marvel knows how to use more uh, a more deft touch. We also heard from uh, Pete, our captain, Noel Gardner. That's at Noel Camille. Bootleg cap. <laughs> Again, another one. We have to keep track of all these for a poll. Bootleg Cap is going to let the power go to his head. I felt uh, strong Homelander vibes. Pete, again, that's a reference to a show on Amazon Prime called The Boys. It's excellent. It, it's very R-rated. Um, there was something in it. I'll just mention this. People who've seen season two might know. There's a scene where my wife said, uh, wait, is that from an octopus? And I said, that's that. That's not from an octopus. Um, anyhow, uh, back to Noel here. The loss of Red Wing was terrible. Bucky is really sticking to no wizards. Couples counseling was good for them. I didn't expect the information about Isaiah Bradley to come from Bucky. Uh, Noel continues, nice name drop about Sharon's past, setting it up that she's been on the run. Is the power broker connected to Zemo? Ooh, I hadn't thought of that, Pete. Chess pieces, you know? Uh, two things about the last scene, the two pawns on his chessboard. Is he uh, is he pulling Sam and Bucky in? Zemo's cell number, 2187. The Star Wars Easter eggs are always fun. Uh, and then she concludes by saying the Henry Jackman score is amazing, uh, and I certainly would agree with that. Henry Jackman, 
you know, one of the dings that the Marvel Cinematic Universe takes is that they haven't had iconic themes. I think they've definitely gotten better, but Henry Jackman is the underrated score master of this universe. His themes for Winter Soldier and also for Civil War are outstanding, and I love that both have been reprised here. Uh, some more tweets we heard from, uh, we have our Captain Pete, we have our doctor, Dr. Bob Keeley. It's not a medical degree, but it's, nonetheless, he's our Dr. Well, Bob Keeley. I want to point out, though, too, that so uh, Andre Yeager, okay, he's officially one of our wizards because it's magic how quickly he retweets uh, and on Facebook shares our stuff. So, you know, we've made uh, Mary... Uh, a life model decoy. Uh, we've given the honorarium of uh, captain to Noel Gardner. Um, we've we've got Doctor Bob here. Okay, he is probably a sorcerer with a hat, but Andre Yeager is definitively a wizard. Uh, Bob Keeley at R. Keeley said, "I enjoyed last week's episode, but I liked this week's even more. A great ride. Can't wait to watch it again." Uh, we heard from Darren Bell, Darren B46052059. Uh, I can't be the only one who's noticed that the two Marvel shows shown so far have introduced Speed and Wiccan, WandaVision, Patriot, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We know we're getting secret inv- a Secret Invasion series. Uh, could introduce Hulkling. Are we seeing mm-hmm. hints of the Young Avengers? Uh, so I think we're certainly on the same wavelength there. Uh, we heard from Steve Thurberge. That's uh, Steve Thurberge on Twitter. So with six episodes, this should be the end of Act 1. We have some pieces on the board, but others still not in place. Really not happy about no Sharon, but I remain patient and excited for what's to come. We also heard from BikeBRH on Twitter. I'm glad they have the band back together quickly, although I'm mildly surprised we haven't heard from Sharon Car- Carter yet. Pete, a lot of Sharon Carter uh, itch out there to be scratched hopefully soon. Our heroes taking an early L to make the final victory later. That much sweeter is kind of an MCU cliche, but I don't care. Uh, Joe Bob says four stars. Check it out. Um, we also heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at TessLC139. Sharon Carter will likely be the government official who grants them access to Zemo. After that, she'll firmly be in the mix. Uh, and Spider-Ham Lincoln goes on to share the following points. John Walker on Good Morning America was a good way to get some background on him, but he still has a punchable face. Sorcerers or so wizards. <laughs> Sorcerers or wizards without hats. Walker and Battlestar equal Cap and Bucky 2.0. No thank you, though I really love the constant references to the old Cap characters. Uh, Enfist Nest, again, the casual use here. Uh, battling for control of cargo against our heroes equals Shades of the Solo train scene. Oh my yeah. goodness, Pete, is it all coming back together here? Uh, the therapy session was a great scene. Soul gazing indeed. Flag smashers and power brokers reminds me of how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Patriot got his super strength through chemicals. Uh, Finding Zemo was a good way to end the episode. Left me wanting more. And Marvel Studios is batting a thousand. Moving on to uh, AKA Frank Castle. That's at DJ underscore Black. B-L-A-K-357 on Twitter. That was a really good episode of, quote, Black Falcon and the White Wolf, close quote. So some humor there. 
Uh, Nathan Nolan Edwards said, Wyatt Russell is doing an amazing job of making you hate him. Definitely reminds me of Jason O'Mara as Jeffrey Mace when he took over on uh, when he took over S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm excited for Sharon Carter to show up. The Zemo teaser was an amazing way to end the episode. Uh, we do have uh, Darren Bell returning to say, starting to feel bad for Captain... Oh, here's a great one, Pete. Captain B-America. You know, <laughs> America, B-America. That's maybe the best one yet. I might I might adopt that, and I give Darren full credit. Uh, starting to feel bad for Captain B-America. Poor guy just doing his job wants to help. Uh, and then we heard from Ben Larson. That's at Larson Ben. I like what they did with John Walker in this episode, at least to start. He's not the villain. He's just a good soldier. And dare I say, a good man trying to live up to Steve Rogers' legacy. I think his story will end up with him full-on villain or uh, sacrificing himself to save Sam and or Bucky. Ooh, that would be a good way to get rid of him. Because, right, Pete, we have an end point where he's presumably not Captain America at the end of the season. I think he has an expiration date. I really do. And, you know, given the way it moves through the episode. I I think it's really hard to think that it's not going to be the, the good way. (laughs) Um, Finishing up Ben's thoughts here. Uh, Either way, that's a much more interesting storyline than if he was just an arrogant jerk working as a foil for our heroes right now. I kind of like him. Um, Pete, I'm in a similar boat about feeling okay about John Walker. Uh, What are people saying on your end? On Facebook, Matt, the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Steve Adams writes in just a few quick thoughts about episode two. First, I hope all those people who complained about last week's, quote, boring, unquote, episode were a little happier this week. Second, I know this is a fictional story, but you cannot fake chemistry. And Mackie and Stan have it by the truckload. I see what you did there, Steve. Uh, They make this old couple i'm sorry odd couple uh dynamic look so easy and am i the only one who thinks john walker doesn't make it out of season one alive until next time true believers stay fantastic with the ph there matt yeah definitely i think it's here's what i've learned pete that's increasingly a good theory that john walker can be both kind of a jerk but die a hero and die positive in our eyes if he you know dies over to apple podcast matt where vince Byrne writes in worthy five stars and his review reads fantastic geek mcu is my drive time essential halfway through first avenger steve rejected the captain america propaganda tool followed his sense of duty and honor and elevated what Captain America is to be an actual hero. And when being Captain America came to conflict with that honor, he walked away. Sam's reluctance to take up the shield is just following Steve's lead. If it's not the real deal, it isn't worthy. That's why the Captain America prefab propaganda tool recurring is so jarring and disturbing at the end, rejecting both Sam and Steve riding since agents of shield 1.1. I'm a fan with the pH. Well, that, that type of lengthy listenership certainly appreciated. And I think, 
look, the 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 most oft-told story behind the scenes for Marvel Studios is how Chris Evans turned down the role not once, not twice, four times he turned it down, and each time he turned it down, they knew that because of his reluctance to be Captain America, that meant he was Captain America. So to replicate that journey here, I think that it's it's an excellent point that Sam, much like Steve, and you know by proxy this behind the scenes story. One must deny the must deny the title of Captain America before it is truly uh, earned by you. Sorry, John Walker, who's worked really hard and uh, fair as fair throws a good bouncy shield and was handed it. Uh, Jordy Culotta uh, writes in Sam's hometown five stars and Matt. A this is why our listeners and fans are the best. Uh, we've been saying something wrong. Uh, his review reads loves love the show introduced during WandaVision and have been hooked as someone who is from New Orleans and fishes in I'm going to say it wrong here first because he's going to fix it Delacroix pretty cool to see that mentioned in an MCU show just wanted to help you out with some Louisiana pronunciation Del a crow is how it's said Delacroix. Okay, got it. We'll keep that filed away. Pete, I know at least this much. I know that uh, I know that it's Nolans. Having been to Nolans, that's that's a super fun that's a super fun place. Pete, post uh, post COVID, Fantastic Geek, Captain America, Victory Tour. Let's go to Delacroix. Let's go to let's go to Nolans. I don't know. We can dream, right? Pete, we'll keep those dreams for the future. For right now, how can people be in touch with you to talk about? the show to talk about marvel to talk about all this stuff on twitter you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 11,890 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally uh, on twitter looking back lost do me in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today well pete we will be back next sunday to talk episode 103 of the falcon the winter soldier until then i will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word it's always that last line <laughs>